Jen Cooper, the keeper here, ready for the next episode of the Mixed Zone Women's Soccer Podcast. This is episode number 267. And hey, let's give a shout out to Kristen Press with that number because that is her Panini Women's World Cup sticker number. And if you don't know what a Panini Women's World Cup album is, you definitely need to Google that. Check it out. Very addictive pastime collecting stickers of all the Women's World Cup players. But anyway, Kristen Press, sticker number 267. And she's also the fifth all-time leading scorer in NWSL with 45 regular season goals. And only Sam Kerr has a higher goals per game ratio than Kristen Press. So two chats today. First with Graham Hayes from ESPNW. Graham has covered all seven NWSL finals. So we spoke about Sunday's big game and what comes next for the NWSL and Vladko Andonovsky. And speaking of Vladko Andonovsky, then I chatted with Meg Linehan, who covers women's soccer for The Athletic. Meg was at the U.S. Soccer Press Conference in New York, where Vladko Andonovsky was officially introduced as head coach of the U.S. Women's National Team. She shared her thoughts of that day, and also we broke down the 24-player roster that was just released for the team's two friendlies coming up next week. And hey, if you don't already subscribe to The Athletic, I highly recommend it. Really great women's soccer coverage. All right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here with Graham Hayes, contributor for ESPNW, who got to go to the NWSL championship game this weekend. So Graham, I mean, was it fun for you? (laughs) (laughs) No, it absolutely was. Um, you know, I, I've been lucky enough uh, to, to to be at all seven, I guess, of the the championship games, and I think I've seen people talk about this already this week. But it it did have kind of a different feel this year, um, and you know, part of that is obviously where it was that the you know the, the courage we're hosting, um, but it it really did feel like a you know a, a major final. It had um, it was just a, it was a very cool atmosphere for for the game, for the teams, obviously, you know, perhaps the game wasn't as um, competitive or as enthralling as we all might've wanted, but just for an experience. Yeah. I thought it was, it was as, as good as I've seen from, from this league. Well, and we, we lucked out weather wise. Well, in, in some ways, I know some people were melting on those, those far stands that are, that are metal seats, but at the same time, the forecast looked like it was going to be awful. Um, and then it ended up kind of, you know, clearing and sunny and, you know, so all the pictures looked awesome. Um, and yeah, it just, I, I love seeing Wake Med Park full. I've, I've seen it full many times before for the College Cup um, and like U.S. Women's National Team. And it's it's a really great ambiance, you know, and you know, and you're in the the heart of an area that has, you know, a pretty deep women's soccer history. Uh, and what made me really happy was to see the very large Chicago Red Stars presence at, at that one end zone. So, you know, both both teams had a good fan group at opposite ends of the stadium. I mean, obviously, it was predominantly Courage fans throughout the stadium. But I love that you had good representation from both actual supporters groups. 
Yeah, that, that absolutely helped. And I, I agree with what you're saying about weight med. I mean, people don't care about our, about our jobs. I mean, for journalists, it's not necessarily the greatest place in the world for, yeah. for events, but I, but, but I love going there just because it is a perfect venue for these, for whether it's the college cup, whether it's these games, whether it's the national team, like you're talking about, it's just, a, it's a really great place to experience soccer when, when it is full and has that atmosphere. And I know a lot of people said it's, it's like, oh, but it's too small or, you know, it should be in Portland because Portland can get, you know, 20,000 people. It's still so important to note that it's the third largest crowd for a final. And it's the, it was the largest crowd outside of Portland. You know, there's there been two finals at Portland and it sold out, which, you know, is is great. So I, I'm always, you know, with, with my experience in, in operations, like give me the sold out 10,000 seater as opposed to 13,000 people in a 25,000 seater. You know, it just yeah, has, right. it, it has a better feel. And, and I'm excited to see a team get to win in front of their home fans. We have never had that in NWSL. There's been a couple of times where a team has had a chance to win in front of their home fans, win the title. This is the first time the hosting team won the title. Yeah, and especially with, with, with what happened last season, you know, the Curves not able to play at home in the playoffs because because of the hurricane. It was it was it was good to see them get a chance in both rounds to kind of uh, be in front of their fans. Right, right. So thoughts on the game? I mean, I I got excited at the beginning. Chicago had a chance. I think Di Bernardo unleashed one that that. Uh, Stephanie LeBay had a great save on and you're like, Oh, this is going to be competitive. And then it just seemed like a few minutes later, uh, North Carolina took all the air out of Chicago's balloon. Just like, sorry, early goal. See ya. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's exactly my reaction as well. And I mean, when, and, and, and Rory had talked about, Rory, Rory Danza talked about that earlier in the week, uh, you know, uh, looking at the game that rain FC played at the courage in the semifinals. And th- there was a lot of praise for kind of their ability to, to, to stay in that game and kind of make it, make it tough all the way through. And he's saying, you know, if, if, the, if, if the courage has finished, finished the chance they had in the first couple minutes, I think it was, I think it was done that had the chance maybe uh, in, the, in the first couple of minutes of the semifinal, you know, that whole game changes as well. And it's true. It's right. just, you, 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 you can have a plan, you can, you can have everything you want to do all set up, but if you, that that early goal, it's a cliche, but that early goal changes everything. And with with everything that was already going against the Red Stars, with being on the road, not having Tierna Davidson, being in the final for the first time, to have that happen, I think, to, like, like you're saying, it just takes all, all the wind out of their sails. And then uh, giving up another goal, I think, within like within the 25th, 26th minute, Jessica McDonald getting a goal. You know, like I'm, I'm up in the broadcast booth doing stats and I'm thinking it's like, yeah, you, you can come back from two. It's, you know, there's still plenty of time. There's still plenty of time, you know, and then the dagger really was giving up a goal in the fifth minute of stoppage time, you know, the absolute worst time to give up a goal. Cause you're about to go into the locker room two zero. It, it sucks. It's not insurmountable. Right. Yep. To give up yeah, and, and that, that last dagger, three zero, ouch! And it, was, it was interesting that it happened. You know, as late as, it, as late as it did in stoppage time, as we were all, I think a lot of us were, were sort of surprised going into it that they were going to have the the um, heat break. You know, in, in, in the first right. half. So the and which, which is why there was that much that much stoppage time in the end. So it's, it's, it's kind of funny how that worked out. Not not funny for the Red Stars, but uh, interesting how that worked out. 
Yeah, it's it's not a game I would have anticipated a hydration break for, but it was the temperature when it kicked off was 82 feels like 88 or whatever. So it was just above the, you know, the bare minimum to, to have a, have a hydration break. But yeah, it's just like, Oh, Oh, that was, that was brutal. Um, and of course we have to talk about, um, what a lot of fans saw and what we saw there of, uh, Sam Kerr getting really frustrated and, Savannah McCaskill waving her off. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, I, I guess I wasn't, I, I was a little surprised by, I mean, I, any, anything that happens in, in a final like that is going to get magnified. Um, right. Right. And, and I, but it felt to me like that was a kind of like, that was obviously a sign of the frustration they were feeling and, and their inability to kind of play the way they wanted to play. And, and it, so it is it, it, true that it, it was a sign of what was going on, but I, I didn't really think it was that monumental a moment as far like that kind of thing happens between teammates. Maybe we didn't see it a whole lot during the regular season with, with the rest stars, but I mean, in, if, if that had kept going on throughout the whole game, mm-hmm. then I would have felt like it, it was really telling, but it, to me, it was just one of those things that happen, happens, happens in, 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 in the heat of the moment. Well, it, it, I, I took it as a sign of just, you know, the pressure um, that Sam Kerr puts on herself that, you know, that, that's fair. At, yeah. at, at that point, you know, they're down two zero. She's talked a lot about how the individual awards mean nothing if she can't win a championship. Right. And, you know, she had a great season with Chicago. They had a great, you know, six game winning streak with only allowing two goals. You, you know, it's like, and here you're down to zero early. And I mean, I'd have to go back. I can't think of a game this, this season where Chicago was down to zero. Um, <laughs> so, you know, that you could see that, that frustration. So yeah, it's, it's not monumental in terms of, Oh my God, these players aren't getting along, but it shows you the incredible amount of pressure that these players put themselves under and how much, how much it means, right. The, the, that it's like, this is a really big deal for Chicago. I, I remember last weekend uh, where we were outside the TV truck in Chicago was really close to where the players parked. And it was just kind of neat to see them just so ecstatic and cheery as they went to their cars. And you could hear Sam Kerr yelling, we're going to the ship. We're taking it <laughs> to the ship. You know, you know so it's, it's like this was not a – Hey, we're just happy to be here. We're happy to finally make the final. It's like, no, we've, you know, we can do this, especially when you look at, um, and this is why I love this matchup so much. Chicago is the only team with a winning record in the regular season all time against North Carolina, whereas North Carolina has beaten Chicago every time in the postseason. So it's just, it's such a classic matchup for for the for the championship game absolutely yeah and and, and, it, and it did in all fairness like you're saying it, it did sum up kind of just that overall frustration that you could uh, that you could tell was, was happening for the rest of us and just kind of again like you're saying that you could see in that moment that it, this oh yeah this is their first time in this kind of a game under this kind of pressure you know in, in, in these kind of moments well and especially as you mentioned losing tiana davidson just a few days before um, they also had Aaron Wright. She'd been out the last several games and they were finally able to announce it was because she's expecting, you know, next spring. Um, so two players who would have been very much part of their lineup were 
you know, were not part of their lineup. Um, I, I think there's also stories. I mean, when you look back at the pictures of Alyssa Nair, I mean, I feel for any keeper that, you know, has to concede that many goals, especially in a championship game, you know, it's like a lot of times there's only so much the keeper can do, right. You know, it's like if, if things are breaking down in front of you, you know, not much you can do her face told a thousand stories. And then on the opposite end, we didn't hear this very, very much. But one thing that, that sat in the back of my head was uh, Stephanie LeBay three years ago, her team was in the final, but she was on the bench um, playing for Washington Spirit, she had come back from the Olympics and never got a chance to get her starting spot back. So sat there and watched while her team had a lead twice, gave up the lead in the last few seconds of extra time, and then lost on, on penalties. So part of think it's like, this has to be really satisfying uh, for, for Stephanie LeBay. You know? um, and then, of course, we have to talk about all of the you know, the North Carolina stars, because there's just, there's just so many of them. And one stat that I saw on Twitter, and I was able to share it with Jen Hildreth while we were still alive. So she was able to say it was every World Cup um, champ on the, the North Carolina roster got on the score sheet Sunday, either, you know, goal or, or assist. So it was, it was a really great team effort. Yeah, and I think that also speaks to just kind of the 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 way those players came back into the courage. You know, after the World Cup, that they they all and everybody talks about being bought in, but they all bought in you know very very quickly. And even with the fatigue and everything going on in their lives after winning a World Cup, uh, all of them, you know, were you know once they were back with the courage, they were really back with the courage, and you that that you you saw how much that mattered um, as as the playoffs wound on. And then, of course, Heather O'Reilly playing in her final game. Um, I, you know, I, I love that Paul Riley had the opportunity to sub her out and give her, you know, a standing ovation because you can't always do that in a final, right? Like if it's one zero, you're not doing that. But no, absolutely. When it when it when it when it's four zero, you can do that. And um, I just love that. Her final game wasn't, oh, she played a couple minutes as a sub at the very end of the game like she did last year in the final. That it's, you know, the storyline that I don't think Paul Riley or Heather O'Reilly were <laughs> expecting. It's like, oh, good thing you've stayed in shape all this time because now you have to start and play the full 90 and maybe the full 120 for every game for the rest of the season. <laughs> And it, it was it was cool. It was cool to see how much that moment meant to her. You know, when when she was able to come off somebody who's you know so competitive that she probably never wants to come off the field and isn't somebody who's craved the spotlight over the years. But she, even she was able to kind of soak up that that moment with the applause from the crowd and the standing ovation. So you know, it was it was just cool to see how much it obviously meant meant to her and how much she had thought about you know what was going on even even in the, even within the context of the game. Well, and like you talked about the the World Cup players buying in, you know, Heather O'Reilly is someone who is bought in, you know, to what Paul Riley is doing as well, especially when you consider, you know, it's like she hasn't been an allocated player in, in a few years, you know, so she's, you know, not making, not making the big bucks from this. A lot of these players, you know, when you, when you do the math of what the league salary cap is, even with the allocations and, and, and other maneuvering, 
You know, it's, it's like these players know that maybe there's not the big money here, but the potential here, um, you know, how you're going to grow as a player and, and maybe get opportunities elsewhere. Uh, you know, I, I still think back to Jess McDonald's where she had to go through, you know, being traded from Chicago to Seattle to Portland to Houston to Western York Flash. Um, which then got moved to North Carolina. But if she had not been traded to Western York Flash and been reunited with Paul Riley and gotten the opportunity to be part of that that squad, she would not, you know, have have made the World Cup team. And and so all that sacrifice, you know, led to a pretty nice payday. <laughs> Absolutely, and and I mean that's one of the things that you hear, hear I've heard people talk about courage is just you know the they have an overwhelming talent advantage, but you see so many of the stories like McDonald or O'Sullivan or these people or Dabinia even people who you know who weren't necessarily thought of like the the way we think of them now is necessarily the way they were thought of when they got to North Carolina or you know that they've they've taken advantage of the opportunity. Um, whether it's you know to get to get on the World Cup team like Jess you're, you're talking about, or or just to be a part of a championship team like O'Sullivan, it, it, it's they've they've used the opportunity under Paul to really in, improve and make the most out of out, out of their skills. Yeah, I mean Dabinia, as he's talked about, was was not really a two way player when she came on board, and none of us knew who she was three years ago. It's just like, oh, a Brazilian, not a Brazilian we've heard of. <laughs> You know, um, Denise O'Sullivan had played well at, at, at Houston, but because the, the interim coach at the time wasn't playing her, she's like, hey, I need to go somewhere I can play. You know, will you waive me? And, of course, I, I love the story of Charlie Namo from North Carolina seeing the email with the waiver list going, what? They're releasing her? <laughs> like, And he's like on va- sitting on the beach or something on vacation is like immediately making phone calls. And and I think that's that's a part of the league that we don't see very often, right? Like not just the coaches, but maybe the general managers, people behind the scenes that are, that are constantly looking at, well, who do we acquire? Who do we trade? How can we maximize the draft? You know, you know all, all that stuff. So um, it's not that just... It's not that they're Real Madrid Galacticos. It's, you know, they've created their own culture of, you know, we're just finding the best talent we can and making something out of them, you know. Yeah. And so which, now which we've why, got... Go ahead. That was why it was kind of fun to see them play Lyon over the summer as well, but, you know, for, for a second time, just kind of that contrast of, and, and Paul even talked about, you know, the, the team that can buy anybody they want that is kind of the... Galacticos team versus yeah. the Scurs team. It, oh, that, that contrast was was fun to see. Totally. So, other thoughts on on this game? Like, you know, do you, you go along with the Dabinia being the MVP of the game, or are there other players that that stood out for you? No, I, I thought. I mean, that, that was that was, that was what I, I voted for as well. And I mean, I think you could have picked any any of a number of people. It, it was one of those games where. You know, half the Curry's lineup could have been the MVP just the way the game played out. But no, I thought—I mean, I voted for her. I thought—I thought she was uh, as good a pick as anyone, certainly. Yeah, and now we've got an off season where so much is going to happen. We just don't know what's going to happen when and how. But uh, you know, we keep hearing the rumors that uh, Sacramento should come in for 2020, which would mean an expansion draft. 
which means both North Carolina and Chicago would lose allocated players. Uh, you can only protect two allocations, two U.S. allocations in expansion draft. So, so let me just throw this out to you, Graham. If, if you're Paul Riley, which two of your four do you protect of your U.S. allocations? You've got Dunn, U.S., Dahl Kemper, and McDonald. Oh gosh! Uh, <laughs> Pressure. I, I, I I think I would say I'm glad I don't have to make that decision. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I I I, I think in, in in all honesty, like that's one of those that's one of those ones where you would you would almost need to be inside the team and need to be Paul to understand kind of what those players are thinking long terms about their their careers, their lives, are there things we don't know that would influence you know, that decision, not based on the talent, but just based on how you see things unfolding down the road. And similarly, you know, Rory Dames is going to have to make a decision because he's got four. He's got uh, Morgan Bryan, uh, Julie Ertz, Casey Short, and uh, Alyssa Nair. Yeah, I've gotten getting this almost backwards. But, uh, you know, it's like, okay, do you – stick with your keeper because you can build, you know, long-term around a keeper. Do you, you know, like, do you trade away the person that you can get most pieces back for, you know, it's, it's so fascinating to see all the, the machinations and, and how different coaches approach it. I mean, we've seen Rory the last several college drafts, um, you know, he will, he will gather as many draft picks as he can, right? Cause he's, he's trying to always think about, okay, that's something in an expansion draft that I can, I can play with, you know, um, it's, and, and I also think this, this year has been interesting where we had larger rosters really for the first time in the history of the league. So as opposed to having 18 minimum 20 max, you had 20 minimum 22 max, plus up to four supplemental players. So teams have been able to build a bigger pool. You've had more training players. It was less, I think, a less of a shock this World Cup cycle when your international players left because you had uh, these players that were playing with you all season who were in a little bit more stable situation. Not They weren't playing for you for free and barely getting by. They were you know, getting the minimum salary, just like a, a, a lot of the rookies. Um, but it's just, it's going to be interesting how all this, how all this falls out. Um, but bef- before I, I jump into the future, let's just talk a little bit more about, about the final, because it was, uh, it was a really great event for NWSL, I, I believe. And I just saw the press release from from ESPN that it is the most viewed NWSL match in three years. So which which which, which is all you know is all the more impressive given that it was going up you know on a, on a, a you know right in the heart of an NFL Sunday which you know as far right. as ratings go that's that's a hard nut to crack. And this is the latest there's ever been a final um, you know by a good month really. Uh, so it was the viewership was forty three percent higher than twenty eighteen, um, and the best audience since twenty sixteen, which had which the the Western New York Washington final in Houston, so that had the highest. So that's just such a great yeah great number to see. And you know, 
Graham, since you work for ESPN, can you talk to them about uh, about a deal for 2020? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, you'll get right on that. Yeah. All day listening to me, I'll, I'll, I'll be right on that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, but I think it's, it, that's a sign. It's just a sign of it was po- of such a positive year for the league. There's always going to be a lot of issues behind the scenes and not even behind the scenes, but you know, the overall positive effect that this year had and you know even looking just at the final itself i mean you wish certainly that all those people would have seen you know a tight thrilling game that came down to the final but they but it wasn't a bad final they still got to see a team playing you know at playing the game as well as we've seen any team in this league ever played any team in any of the pro leagues in, in, in this country play so it wasn't you know a captivating uh, game in, 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 the, in the sense of the outcome, but you've you got to see how good soccer can be in this league. And Chicago did not give up at any point. I mean, Casey Short had an attempt towards the end. Um, they were they were giving it whatever they had. You know, uh, you still had some good saves towards the end. So it yeah, it wasn't it wasn't like a dramatic oh one zero game. Anybody could win at the last moment. But, you know, it was definitely, definitely engaging. So looking ahead, you know, uh, you've got the U.S. women have two games under new head coach Vladka Nanoski, you know, next week. And then a camp in December, Um, you know, watching this final, is there anybody that stands out to you that, you know, maybe should get a call up uh, who hasn't hasn't been getting called in? It's it's interesting because I mean I'm, I'm very very curious to see the roster for these two games we're talking about and then it's, it sounded like the, the camp in December will be, be be mostly an ID camp um, yeah for those kind of those kind of people I mean I, I, I you know I, I I think the names aren't necessarily going to be unfamiliar but I think somebody like a Danny Colaprico will, will get a, a, a further look uh, Casey Short will be back in I'm sure. Um, you know, so I I don't know that they're going to go too far off off the board, but I think people who people who you saw fleetingly uh, under under Joe Ellis, will, will, you know, and then we've seen them play well in the league, will get a, a more of an extended look now. And I think that's so important, and and I've said this a lot, and I know it sounds like a horrible cliche, but it's like without the league, with you know, you don't have anything, uh, you don't have that pool constantly being expanded and refilled and re replenished, you know, um, again, back to Jessica McDonald, if she didn't have, um, the league, there would not have been something to, to launch her into, into the national team. And I'm just, I'm looking forward to, um, what happens at a Vlad Kononoski because, uh, you know, you think about it only once have we had a national team coach who came out of, the American Pro League, and that was Tom Sermani. Well, no, no, I should no, I should say Pia Sundaga too. So, okay, two. So Pia and Tom Sermani. Um, Tom didn't, um, you know, didn't really have a chance to make an impact before he was before he was let go. We saw what Pia was able to do. Obviously, two gold medals, um, made it to the World Cup final, but she was known for not moving the pool very much. Right. So like she came out of WSA, but her tenure as coach as head coach was later 
So it wasn't going straight from WSA where she would have known all these players to the national team. There was, there was a big gap between. So here it's like, we've never had, I can say that we have never had a national team coach go straight from the American women's pro league to the national team. So when you think of the wealth of knowledge in Vlad Kononovsky's brain <laughs> about all of these players in the league and not just in the league, but probably all the ones that he was scouting, you know, um, and, and now looking abroad, I just, yeah, I can't wait to see what happens. Yeah. I was, I, I was actually, I was looking at some of the, some of the stuff before, uh, speaking with you today. And I think going back to when Pia, Pia was hired, you know, in 2008, going into those Olympics, I think I saw, they, the U.S. played 18 games that year before the Olympics, which, first of all, is an absurd number of games. But yeah, she she only used 26 players in in, in those games. Uh, I would a I would assume the U.S. will play a lot fewer games than that going into uh, going into next year's Olympics in Erblaco. But still, I would imagine would play more than more than 26 players just based on his knowledge of the league and wanting wanting to see some of those people in in that kind of a setting. Yeah, I'm so looking forward to that. Well, Graham, thank you so much for taking the time to chat about the NWSL Championship. And I'm so glad that, that you've been able to see all seven. So you, you can almost can almost rival Dan LaLetta, who's been not only to all NWSL finals, <laughs> but all the WSA and WPS. So like, we'll have to start making patches, you know, like, like the FIFA patches for the World Cup jerseys, where it's like, Every time you go to a final, you get a little patch. <laughs> or, or are you out of little star? <laughs> no one can ever rival Dan, though. That's, that's <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for taking the time to chat, Graham. And, uh, and I'm sure we'll be talking women's soccer again. Great. I appreciate it. Thank you. Jen Cooper, the keeper here with Meg Linehan from The Athletic. Meg, you had the privilege of being at the press conference this Monday where U.S. Soccer finally officially announced Vladko Adonofsky as the new head coach of the U.S. Women's National Team. So tell us all about it. Sure. So, I mean, first of all, I just want to have a general disclaimer that I was both mentally and physically exhausted from doing the turnaround (laughs) from NWSL Championships to the press conference at 4 p.m. the next day. Um, You had to to change your flight, right? I did have to change my flight. So I filed my story from the championship game on Heather O'Reilly at like midnight the night before. And then Uh my alarm to get to the airport for my 7 a.m. flight went off at 4.30 in the morning. So it was like a real fun little turnaround time. But, you know, in the long run, like that's that's the nature of the gig. Um, Yeah. But yeah, I, I thought Monday, just even, you know, in sort of the historical sense, I, I think Monday was probably the best win U.S. soccer has ever had in terms of like announcing a coach. Like I thought all of the elements were really there, you know, the press conference, the actual like physical announcement, the social media part, the fact that they had like a fan and insider event after the press conference. So that way there was like a more informal setting for him to to kind of introduce himself like not just in terms of his approach to the program but like as an actual human being who likes math and chess and like had to keep up with Katie Nolan cracking jokes at him for 30 minutes so (laughs) it was I don't it was just very I thought 
like a good optics look um, for U.S. soccer for for Andonovsky and I. You know, like we got the sense of kind of his approach. Um, but I think that a, a lot of us within this world have also thought for a long time that kind of, a he was the leading candidate, but b like I do think there was this general sense that he was the preferred candidate. So. Um, it was nice to just actually kind of like get some questions in. I also, I thought was very impressed by, by Kate Markgraf's um, approach to Monday and how much detail she went into the search process and, you know, what she considers important and, and how they landed on him as the head coach. So all in all, like it was, and I think I wrote this in my story, like it was pretty much a perfect day minus like a couple tiny things. And that of course, um, you know, it kind of stemmed from the fact that at the end of the night, we, we got back and forth filings on the equal pay lawsuit that kind of put a little damper on the day's event. Right, right, <laughs> right. Well, I, I, I too like that Kate Margraf gave a lot of detail in terms of the search process. I was not expecting that watching the the stream of the, the, the press conference over, over Twitter mm-hmm. that, that she would be that specific. Um, mm-hmm. Um, I, I would have loved to see, and, and maybe it's posted, maybe it will be posted on YouTube, the, the, the fan insider event. I, mm-hmm. I'd love to see Katie Nolan cracking jokes at Vladko Nanofsky's expense. That could, that could be really yeah. interesting. <laughs> I mean, like within, like he walks up and then uh, she immediately like turns around to reveal that Andonofsky is the name on the back of the jersey she's wearing. And he like was just giggling straight up. Like it was just... <laughs> It was a really nice thing. And she's like, she's telling stories about how she pretended to be Rose Lavelle to like get into a like ESPN after party or something. And it worked. And she wanted to know, like, does that mean I can sneak onto the team? And, you know, Vlaco had to keep up with that. So it's just nice to like, you know, this is going to be a completely different world than NWSL, right? Like the pressure is different. The attention is different. The, the way that you have to talk about this team is different. And so, you know, like, it's not like he's, he's being eased into a kiddie pool or anything like, no, no, not at all. it's, yeah, it's press conference. It's, you know, come here and, and talk with Katie Nolan and face audience questions right off the bat. So um, I thought, you know, and he has to walk a fine line, right. In terms of the equal pay stuff. I thought he did pretty much exactly what Jill Ellis did. Um, in the days when she still very much was careful about the way that she talked about it before she stopped, you know, like giving a, an F about if she had the Federation support or not. So, you know, <laughs> to take that line of, okay, it's going to be helpful for the drive of the players on the field. Like we haven't seen it prove to be a distraction for them. I think it fuels them. Um, I support the players without actually stepping into like, I support equal pay for the players. Like that is the only line he can walk right at the moment. It's it's essentially day one on the job. Like we can't be like, ah, yes, well, he's a failure day one from, from this point of view. Um, And that, that's like, that's my only footnote on the day, but it's a footnote that I think we all really should have seen coming. Someone has to ask that question and he has to give that answer. So it's only, again, because of the stuff that happened later on in the day where you're just kind of like, oh, right, well, <laughs> this feels a little bit more gross. Um, but, you know, compared to the way that Jill Ellis 
got announced compared to the way that Tom Sermoni got announced. Like it was just so above and beyond. And I, I thought really like in terms of a, a communication standpoint, um, obviously it, it was not a World Cup secret, right? That it was going to be Anonofsky. And even the way that he talked to me about when I interviewed him for my like NWSL playoff piece, when he was like, as of this time, it is not correct. And I was like, like, you mean like you've been for an interview and you're saying no, or like as of this time, <laughs> right? And he was like, no, no, I want to, no, uh, just anything can happen, right? That's all I'm saying. Anything can happen. So yeah. everybody knew, like, it was not, it was not hard to figure out where they were going, but um Still, like, even with everyone knowing, I thought Monday, like, overall, I felt like at least a B-plus, if not a minus A effort from U.S. soccer to launch the new era of the U.S. national team. Well, given that it was such a positive event, um, what would be your thoughts on what if it had been incorporated somehow in the NWSL championship weekend? Would that overshadow the game? Would that bring more attention to the game? What, what, what do you think? Uh, I would have vastly preferred for them actually. Okay. Here's my other footnote doing it Monday kind of, I think hurt the one natural like day of coverage that you get out of the, the NWSL championship, especially because, for those, those of us who were there at the game, like actually getting players for quotes through the mix zone took a really long time. So a lot of people filed with the intent to have the stories run on Monday. And then knowing that the coach was happening Monday afternoon, like it's a lot of women's soccer news and it doesn't necessarily allow the championship to breathe. So right. do I kind of wish they had waited until Tuesday or Wednesday for this? Yes. But also I get, they've got to get him in place for these games. They clearly had a roster that they were ready to drop. So right. everybody's kind of on a weird timeline, but if nothing else, I'm glad that it had its own event. I think it had to be in New York City because that is kind of the level where this team is at now where you, you have to, you know, come to New York City for your media day before the World Cup. You need to probably bring your coach there just to do, like, media yeah, appearances. That's, that's what I was going to say. It's, it's just like the yeah. media day for World Cup. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I – I do think, like, had they been able to wait a day, that would have been nice. But I am glad that they allowed, you know, the full normal weekend of NWSL championship stuff to occur. So that way, you know, everybody got their media day stories out. Everybody got their MVP and, and um, you know, kind of state of the league stuff out. And then the game stuff. And then we had U.S. national team coach. Yeah, it's it's such a busy time for women's soccer and it's not going to slow down any, you know. No, um, no, I was just talking with someone and, and he was like, well, November will be calmer for you. And I was like, not like I might get a weekend or two back. I didn't have I had not had a single day off this month. Like it has not yeah. happened. The one day I thought I was getting off uh, was the day I was supposed to celebrate my wife's birthday uh, because her birthday actually fell on the day of the playoff games. And that was the day that I reported that Louisville was joining the NWSL as a 2021 expansion team. <laughs> Sorry, honey. So that's my month. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's not slowing down anytime soon. And today yeah. we have the, the roster drop for Vlatko and Anofsky's first camp. Of course, the U.S. women have the two friendlies coming up um, next week. They'll play Sweden in Columbus and then Costa Rica and Jacksonville. These are not 
victory tour matches. So right. that's why there's, you know, some variation in the roster. That being said, he didn't, you know, just burst open the doors and go, all right, lots of new people in because, hey, there's not a lot of time for this camp, right? He, he doesn't get 10 days before um, those friendlies. He just gets a few days for those friendlies. So this roster is 17 uh, players from the Women's World Cup and then seven who who are, you know, from NWSL or elsewhere that, you know, aren't, aren't usuals. Um, of those, of those seven, I've, the most intriguing, of course, are Alana Cook and Amani Dorsey. Um, yeah. You know, Alana I Cook. I mean, but also can, go yeah. ahead. Can we talk about the fact that how crazy it is to have like his first roster have, I think it's four players with, you know how they always have like, player's name and then the club that they're associated to and then there's always this number slash number which is caps and goals and to right. see four players with that zero zero ooh, i was just like wow all right we're going we are going. <laughs> <laughs> well and that's a kind of like when it came out that my first thought was oh i need to go back and see the last time there's a, been a call up with four four uncapped players yeah and not including not including goalkeepers you know, right. Um, right. Cause that, that always, that, that skews it differently. But we had heard that Alana cook that, that had been leaked. Um, you know, she played mm-hmm. at Stanford, didn't declare for the end of draft. You know, she's playing at PSG, you know, so, so like right. that wasn't a surprise because one way or another, we had heard that that was happening. Amani Dorsey, however, yeah. Yeah. what do you think about that? I'm that's that to me is kind of the name that is the most interesting again I think because we knew Alana Cook was coming but Amani Dorsey is interesting just because I feel like the stories that we tend to get around NWSL rookie of the year candidates tend to be kind of interesting because I, I think that it has been the narrative of this league that you get this great first season and then like a really either interesting or kind of underwhelming second season and Amani Dorsey obviously like her role when she was rookie of the year was very different than her role this season. So she's being called in as a, as a defender. Right. And I think that's super fascinating that the fact that her role got changed and especially just knowing kind of the chaos, I think that was sky blue FC from like a coaching point of view um this season and the way that her role has changed and I think multiple people have tried to kind of figure out what her role is on that team over the span of a season to then see her get called into the national team camp and granted like you know obviously she's got some youth national team looks as well and and that sort of thing but it is it is really interesting to see her name make it into this November roster drop as opposed to uh, Andonofsky waiting for the December talent identification camp to pull her in. So I think that's a really interesting and, and super encouraging sign when it comes to Imani Dorsey's kind of future with the national team. And of course, Midge Purse and Lynn Williams getting, getting called back in, you know, they've of mm-hmm. course been called in before. Of course, Lynn has been capped many times before. Midge, Midge yep. has never been capped, but you know, yep. it's, it's such a simple thing. And, and, and I think Jill did it somewhat, but it's like, Hey, your, your league form will give you those opportunities to be called mm-hmm. up. And, and here are a few players who had really good form. 
in the NWSL regular season. And of course, Casey Short, Andy Sullivan, you know, coming back in again as well. Of course, we've seen them in the, you know, kind of a little bit in the, in the victory tour matches, but yeah, mm-hmm. you know, should be back there. Um, yeah. So what I think is going to be interesting about these friendlies is Sweden is not the kind of team that uh, the U S women usually play kind of in the victory tour post world cup Olympic games. That's going to be an intense match. That's a legit game. That's a legit yeah. game, right? Like in Costa Rica, no offense to Costa Rica. Like that is, I think a game where you can kind of throw some interesting people at like with Sweden. Right. I don't think that you're going to like toss out a back line of like Alana cook, Amani Dor- like you're not yeah. going to necessarily throw some random people out there. But what is interesting is when you look at that list of defenders, like Dahl Kemper, Sauerbrunn, Sonnet are there and Casey short, arguably who should have been NWSL defender of the year um, is also like you, you can trust her in a big game situation, I think, but um, to have the potential that Alana cook or Monty Dorsey could see game time against Sweden in their first cap. Like that's, that is not a sentence that we probably would have said ever (laughs) in previous versions of this team. (laughs) Right. <laughs> yeah, and Costa Rica, you know, it's like not the same challenge. They have, thankfully, they just played last month, um, you know, to prep for Olympic qualifying. So at mm-hmm. least they will be somewhat in form relative to, you know, other yeah. times we've played them as friendlies. But no, I'm so looking forward to that Sweden matchup. Though it's important to note, so he, he's got 24 players called up. He'll name 18 for each match mm-hmm. to, to suit up. And I would assume it would be a, a slightly different 18 each time, especially when right. it's been a long year. It's been a long season. A lot yeah. of these players played all the way through, uh, you know, the NWSL championship game. Yeah. You know. Can we, can we let Julia Ertz take a nap? I know. Like, let Julia Ertz take a nap, please. I know. Like, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Just switch her to the goalkeeper list, <laughs> and, and and she'll be the goalkeeper that sits on the bench. I mean, she, why does she have to yeah. be a midfielder? Um, right. And then December is uh, the ID camp that Ananasi is going to do, and you know, so basically bringing in a lot of players for an extended camp. No official friendlies to be played. I'm sure maybe they'll like scrimmage uh, or maybe do U23s or, or, you know, something like that. Mm-hmm. But um, we don't know the details of that. I mean, I would assume you're bringing in at least 22, 24 players. I, I would love it if it were like 30. But the kicker is none of the World Cup players can be called in. Uh, so right. for their CBA, it's mandatory time off and and that's mm-hmm. great because here's an opportunity for a new coach to bring in as many players as he's curious about and, you know, and start to figure out like, you know, who's gonna, who's gonna fit, you know, his, his plans right. and just extended time, um, especially kind of one-on-one time with a lot of players. Like, sure. He's seen a lot of these players playing NWSL. Some of them he doesn't know personally, you know, um, right. I, I can't wait to see that list, um, especially because, like I said, it's not going to have any of the World Cup players on it. So that means, well, it'll probably be Aubrey Bledsoe and 
who knows, Casey Murphy, Jane Campbell, you know, at, at goalkeeper defenders, you know, Hey, midfielder, Julie Ertz won't be listed. You know, there's right. so much, so right. much. Julie Ertz will be asleep somewhere, maybe <laughs> on a beach, maybe on a beach and asleep. We hope so. So that's my personal hope for Julie Ertz is that she <laughs> like gets a really nice vacation and yeah. can sleep. Yeah. Um, just in terms of like how tired I am from my summer and like I did not put in nearly like one one hundredth of the effort that she did. So right. I can only imagine. Um <laughs> yeah, I mean I think, you know, it's not just NWSL either. It's it's maybe uh college and maybe pulling in some some people that are on youth national teams just in terms of getting right. a sense of where people are at. like I mean the whole thing that when Kate Markraft came in as GM is she said that she wants a head coach that's going to drive development and so even if these players aren't necessarily going to fit into immediate plans for the U.S. national senior team right is how do you fit them in maybe on the youth national team side? Do you get a sense of, you know, what role they might play throughout their development in terms of bringing them up through that system or saying, okay, like maybe they would work well with this NWSL coach, like, you know, being able to say, Hey, I have a sense of every single NWSL team because I've been in this league for seven years. I see this player in this talent ID camp that might be a perfect fit for a system and under a head coach that I would trust to develop this player. Maybe I'm going to give a heads up to that coach, right? Like he has a much larger game to play now. And I think that there's a lot of possibility just beyond like getting some more time with NWSL players that he has only ever coached against. Um, And that there is a much larger play in terms of like how much role he's going to have in like the overall development system that eventually like, yes, it does feed into the senior national team, but you know, there's, there's like a whole world out there that he now has access to that he, you know, I think only kind of got a certain look in and in certain ways within the NWSL world. And I just like knowing the way his brain works, I think he is going to really, really embrace that wholeheartedly. Oh, kid in a candy shop. Yeah. Yeah. Because cause being able to make the phone call of, hey, I'm the head coach of the U.S. Women's National Team, that, that'll open a lot of doors for you as opposed to, hey, I'm head yeah. coach of Rain FC. What's that? Right. You know, yeah. um, it's huge. And I'm glad you brought up college because that's a whole other pool that, that he can look at, um, whether it's for mm-hmm. short term, long term. We've got the Women's College Cup uh, first weekend in December, December 6th and 8th. In, in San Jose. So I would assume the camp might fall right after that so that he can, you know, pull in, yeah. pull in, right. uh, you know, top college players. Um, I just, I'm, I'm so excited about this because, you know, you know, we've all seen how enthusiastic he is and how intensely hardworking he is when it comes to scouting players and preparing mm-hmm. and he's just so into the game. And, this weekend in Cary at the women's soccer event that I put together, we had Becca Moros there um, to talk, you know, Becca from the Utah Royals, but she played for mm-hmm. Blasio at FC Kansas city. And so of course someone asked her her thoughts and she said, he created the most professional professional environment in the least professional place. Um, mm-hmm. And, and I love what she said about him that um, win or lose, they always looked at film 
win or lose after every game, you met with Vladko and you went over video of your touches and he was very direct with you. Of, mm-hmm. This was good. This was bad. You can't do this. I like this. Um, that he was always the first person at the field for practice and the last person to leave. Basically, if anybody was on the field, he was there. It was, you know, she's like, I've had coaches that are the last to show up and the first to leave. And he is the complete opposite of that. And then I also like that she said that he kept a distance from um, the players in terms of like, he didn't try to be buddy, buddy so that there was never, Mm -hmm. Oh, Oh, you know, the coach likes this player and he doesn't like me or, you know, this, right. this, this click develops because these are the coach's favorites. And because of that, that the, the locker room developed its own strength, you know, they had each other's back. Mm-hmm. And when you think of some of the players that came from FC Kansas city, that are still playing yeah. together, you know, when I think of Nicole yep. Barnhart and Becky right. and Erica Timrak and some of the bonds that, that, that they have. And it's, so it's like, yeah, that's, that's partly because of how, what, what he established there. Yeah. So two, two things on Vaco. One, when I say on Twitter that this man is the Leslie Nope, of women's soccer, like this is the highest possible compliment <laughs> I can give him. And it is 1000% intended to be a compliment in terms of the organization and the thought process and the enthusiasm and just like the leadership qualities that I think he has. Like, I don't think that there is a better like person to compare him to in terms of like what he brings to a leadership role than Leslie Nope. So like, I am deadly serious, but also like, I think it is extremely accurate. The second part of that is from another former player point of view, obviously we've seen a lot of people on Twitter kind of weighing in like Lauren Holiday did that. But like I talked to Heather O'Reilly a few times this season and I asked her about FC Kansas City like way back in May. And she gave me this quote about Andonofsky and this was way before we knew anything about the head coaching search. And he, and she just said like, just when you think that you can't love the game anymore, I think that I found another level of appreciation and love for the sport. And I'll always be grateful for him. Like when you're getting that from Heather O'Reilly in that point in her career, I think that says a lot. Yeah. Oh, that, that speaks volumes. Yeah. So excited to see, you know, what, what comes next. And and I have to ask, how do you think he's going to handle some of the senior players, not just Carly Lloyd, but any of the players who Mm -hmm. might be thinking, Hey, maybe my, my role is in jeopardy. Yeah. I mean, I think that's going to be the really, like, that's kind of one of the leading questions. And, you know, someone immediately asked the Alex Morgan question, right. Just in terms of how do you manage her coming back from pregnancy on a short turnaround time to the Olympics? And it, like the, I think the nice thing about this too is that it's not necessarily just going to be Andonofsky either. Like Kate Markgraf is there to also help with like the resources and and player management stuff. Um, yeah, I love that she said. There, oh, I gave Alex the name of my trainer when I was coming back. Right. <laughs> yeah, but I also think like having those two different viewpoints are helpful where you can still provide every single possible resource that the Federation has to make sure that players are their best and are able to con- con- to contribute to this team. But I do also think that his reputation of being honest, which they also spoke about on Monday and like the fact that he is very clear about, you know, where a player is at. I mean, 
there are going to be difficult decisions ahead. Like you have a World Cup winning team that you're already going to have to drop down roster size to the Olympics, right? Right. And then you also have veteran players that are expecting, like, I'm going to not only be fighting for a roster spot, but be starting, but be fighting for a, a starting spot in Carly Lloyd. And I think, you know, from day one, if he comes in with like an honest approach in terms of this is where I see you, but also I'm going to be evaluating everything. And this is what we have kind of this background on him as a head coach and the way that he allows players to, you know, not just fight for a spot, but also, you know, figure out, I think where they are in terms of like the team and it's, and their role. Like, I think that kind of the potential for this to go really well. But at the same time, like this is a this is a team that historically has clashed with coaches <laughs> uh, pretty much every single time. So, you know, there is going to be a, a player management element to this that I think could, you know, prove challenging on many levels. And maybe the question is, is are the players that are on this team from a leadership point of view, someone like Megan Rapinoe, someone like Becky Sauerbrunn, able to maybe also help extend that culture to a team level so that way it's not just him saying this maybe it's also not just mark graf kind of coming in for support as well but that there is kind of a more cohesive team culture between coach and and the players yeah it's it's going to be a very different kind of national team environment than we've seen in the past. And and not to say that it wasn't, you know, good this past year. It's just, it's evolving with the addition of Kate Markgraf as general manager. Mm-hmm. And, and I think evolving in, in a really great way. And hopefully soon we'll know where Olympic qualifying is going to be and exactly when Olympic qualifying is going to be, because I would assume so we know there's no games in December. I'm assuming there's no friendlies in January before they start Olympic qualifying. Which right. Start right. Late January, January in the February. Yeah. And at least, you know, um, again, no offense to the smaller CONCACAF countries, but we know the group stage is generally not the most challenging, you know, uh, what's, right. what's challenging is sometimes the semi um, and usually the final against, mm-hmm. against Canada. And then of course, uh, there'll be a pretty busy slate with She Believes and a lot of friendlies. And the Olympics start, I think it's July 24th. So yeah, we'll know, yeah. yeah. So we'll know, um, I would think, by early June who's on the, the team. But one of the things I like about the Olympics being a little later than World Cup is that the NWSL season can actually come into play when it comes to final right. spots. Like yeah. the way World Cup fell this year, no, like if you hadn't already made your way on the team, the 2019 NWSL season, it was too late because, you know, the, the, the team was decided basically mm-hmm. before the season started. So so I like that right. there's there, there's a portion of the season where, you know, people could could earn their way on. So. Right. But but right now we've got two friendlies next week, Sweden and then Costa Rica. Um, what's what's your prediction for Sweden? Here's here's the bizarre question. I'm going to end the. the, Ooh, the because I'm thinking Honestly, Sweden's bringing 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 their real people, right? Because this is well, like a yeah, yeah. while they're in qualifying. Yeah. Right. No, I I see Sweden probably actually being a loss or a draw. 
Like, I think that they're, they could very well, like, get a nice win to start off. But I, I think that, you know, A, I think the Federation is aware that he's, like, as much as the interview process was involved in everything, like, he's got essentially a week to, yeah. <laughs> you know, get a roster in and, and get a camp in and get that first game in. So, like, I think everyone's going to be very reasonable if this game is not a win, right? Like, we cannot... <laughs> If people are out here, like, screaming, like, oh, my God, Blacko Andonovsky did not get a win against Sweden in his first ever game, like, nine <laughs> days after being appointed to the role, I like, I'm going to start yelling at people. The pressure yeah. should be off. Right. Like, get a look. We've like, never... the, the goal of these two friendlies is to say, like, hi, hello, I'm Blacko Andonovsky. I'm your new head coach. And please don't get injured. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. So, I... I think the pressure is off. Like, let him get a look at players. The games are, like, a nice bonus. But I think really the important stuff is those introductory meetings and the training sessions and him getting a feel for what the machine of a U.S. national team game is like, even as a friendly, right, on home I love that. The machine, it is. It's a machine. And also, like, you know, he's – I'm sure he's worked with Don Scott in some capacity before and, and maybe Graham Abel, but like, you know, he's got a coaching staff to, to get a sense of as well. Like this is really just, here is my new world. <laughs> I need to get a feel. I need to explore it. Right. It's like when you right. have to like, you're in a video game and you have to like figure out where all the lands are and actually open them up. Like that's yeah. his next week. And I think we're moving the pressure of expecting a win against Sweden. Like, granted, I think, you know, it's going to be a great crowd and all this kind of stuff. But I think removing the pressure of a win really just allows him to do a job and and get a sense of what that job actually is. And I, like, I feel perfectly fine saying, like, I'm very cool with the U.S. Women's National Team losing this game. Yeah. And usually a coach's first game is like starts the year, like in January, this is a bit, a bit unusual, but Meg, thank you so much for taking the time to talk about Vladkovinovsky and the roster and NWSL. And, and of course, thanks for the great work you do on the athletic guy. I, I'm so happy that something like that exists because I'm always looking for more women's soccer things to read. Yeah. No, thank you for having me. All right, time to wrap it up with the back four. First foremost, we have two U.S. women's friendlies coming up next week. Thursday, November 7th, they'll play Sweden. That game airs live on Fox Sports 1 at 6.30 Central Time. And then Sunday, November 10th, they'll play Costa Rica on ESPN 2, 7 p.m. Central Time. Both of these games are just friendlies. They're not victory tour matches, uh, which really only matters in that, you know, there's more players called up and uh, all the injured players are, are being rested. And then December, Vlad Kononoski will hold a camp for strictly non-Women's World Cup players. There won't be any official matches associated with that camp, but since all 23 of the Women's World Cup players will have mandatory time off, it will be very interesting to see who gets called in. Could see college players, NWSL, 
maybe U-17s, a little bit of everything, players who've been playing abroad. And note that the Olympic qualifying tournament will be held in the U.S. in late January, February, uh, and there probably won't be any official matches between these November matches that are next week and the beginning of that tournament. We still don't have official dates, cities, but we know it's going to be in the U.S., and we know it's going to be in that time period. And on the college side of things, uh, you have most of the conference tournaments kicking off next week, and then we'll have the official NCAA tournament bracket announcement uh, coming on what should be, I think, the 11th, 12th, right around there, November. Um, The final four of the NCAA tournament, also known as the College Cup, will be played December 6th and 8th in San Jose. Tickets for the final four are on sale now at ncaa.com slash tickets. And be sure to keep an eye on keepernotes.com as I will try to keep an updated list of all tournament games, most of which should be available via live stream for free. And speaking of KeeperNotes.com, I've been adding more content to the site, including galleries of photos from NWSL games, lots of great stat links, and much more. Be sure to give it a look. All right, that's it for this episode. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to everyone who shares this podcast with a friend or fellow Woso fan. And many thanks, as always, to Sean for putting it all together. But now she's anybody's girl. Yeah.